The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. It's Monday. You're watching Scorebox, and these are your headlines. Wall Street looking set to close the month sharply lower, despite those gains we saw on Friday, with the Nasdaq, though, set for its worst month since 2008 as investors prepare for tighter Fed policy. The UK targets Russian oligarchs amid red-hot tensions between Kiev and Moscow. The UK Foreign Secretary Liz Truss says new sanctions will send a clear message. The number one thing that will stop Vladimir Putin taking action is if he understands the costs of that action. This could result in a quagmire, and he should be well aware of that. The reluctant president, Sergio Mattarella, signs on for a second term as Italian president after lawmakers fail to agree on a compromise candidate. These conditions require that one doesn't step away from the duties to which one is called upon. And naturally, these must have prevalence over other considerations and other personal prospects. Vodafone comes under activist attack as Sevian Capital reportedly builds a stake and calls for structural change. Very good morning then. And as Steve says, uh, welcome to a Monday edition of Squawk Box. Um, Let's have a look at these Ryanair numbers then, because they're just trickling in. They give us a a decent indication of what the travel and leisure sector pickup looks like in Europe at the moment. So the company reporting a net loss uh, narrowing on its third quarter, the loss coming in at 96 million euros. The revenue line 1.47 billion here. The revenue forecast was 1.52. So they're just a little light on the revenue uh, expectation. The load factor in at 84%, which is interesting because it's a bit better than that Wizz Air number that we talked about last week, which was in the 70s. Customers rise to 31.1 million. Um, Christmas and New Year bookings affected by Omicron. Uh, pricing and yields uncertain for full year 2022 due to the virus. The company says it will accelerate traffic growth over the next five years. Uh, The group says it expects traffic to grow 50% to over 225 passengers uh, per year by full year 2026. Uh, The group then giving us a net loss guidance within the 250 to 450 million euro range. The group also says traffic forecasts remain unchanged at just under, uh, that's a, uh, what is that, 100 million uh, passengers, I think, uh, if my eyes don't deceive me. We've got a few lines here from the CFO, so let me just wade through these as well, just to see if there's anything uh, interesting. The CFO already saying there is a fair bit of pent-up demand out there, hopeful that we will see uh, stronger bookings in coming weeks here. Of course, this is all Omicron-dependent. If we do need to stimulate pricing, we are in a much better position than rivals due to the higher fuel hedge, which, of course, is going to be important, given that what are we now? Um, 
uh, seven-year highs on the oil price, and we continue to see that market racked by jitters over the geopolitics in Europe here. So the group says it is uh, fuel-hedged well below spot prices uh, for the fourth quarter, 100%, for the full year, uh, 2023 and the first half 80 percent uh the second half at 70 percent so no doubt michael o'leary will be pleased that his team have some uh hedging in place here against significantly higher costs given that we don't really know where these energy prices are going to go at the moment uh shareholders should expect further covid disruptions before the crisis is behind us Stephen. Uh, that sounds just like very sensible guidance at this stage in the cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ryanair's boss, Michael O'Leary, has seen way too many cycles to get too excited about what we're seeing at the moment. Absolutely extraordinary figures in there, though. Third quarter operating costs, as you've been talking about, up by 136% as well. Uh, And yes, I know that Michael O'Leary has been talking uh, about how well hedged he is for the first half, for the second half as well. But with $91 per barrel Brent, and we'll spend a little bit of time later on looking at the end of month board on that we'll do that in the next half an hour or so Uh, the fact of the matter is uh, and let's be brutally honest about this policymakers globally are flailing with this high oil price they're flailing with the consequences for the consumer uh, for drivers who absolutely are voters as well especially in a key year with the november midterms as well that is why biden uh, released some um, strategic reserve of course back in november or at least said he was going to the problem is the market saw through that absolutely straight away and by the way when biden did that uh, spr announcement as well Oil was trading at $82 a barrel. What is it now, ladies and gentlemen? As of this morning, it is north on Brent, the global benchmark, of 91 bucks. Does that show impotency, uh, impotency for the, the policymakers out there? I think it jolly well does. And what does it mean for the airlines? Well, I can tell you Ryanair. Ryanair is trading at 20 times forward at the moment. That is way above its historical average. There is an awful lot of good news potentially baked into these airlines. If you think that's extraordinary, take a look at some of the national flag carriers as well, the likes of ICAG and others. Uh, They are trading at very elevated levels considering their debt loads, considering the problems on staffing and indeed aviation fuel that this industry has. It is potentially a real mess going forward. But the good news is that fares are going north at the moment. The fact is that passengers are desperate to get on planes and have a bit of R&R, and why not after the last two years we've had? Let's take a look at this uh, on the month today. We had a really strong day to the upside, if you were along the market, on Friday. It was some of the best gains we've seen. For instance, the S&P, its best single day, and I didn't realise it until I looked this morning, since June 2020. But... That won't save the S&P from what was a horrendous month. Again, if you were long, a lot of you are short out there. 7% lower, the S&P on the month. The Nasdaq got it really badly. Uh, Correction territory type move on the Nasdaq as well. A lot of individual stocks, a lot of individual names, a lot of individual ETFs uh, got absolute drubbing on the month. But the Nasdaq was down 12%. And I'll just show you the Dow quickly. I can look at the individuals for you as well. Down 4%. 
0.4%. Let us move on and take a look very briefly at some of the individual names as well and individual markets. And here you can see, there's that rally we're talking about at the tail end of, of last week. We've still got a trading day today, uh, albeit with limited added liquidity coming from international investors out of Asia. Uh, happy Lunar New Year to all our friends out there who are celebrating it. I believe it's the Year of the Tiger. I always have a soft spot for the Year of the Tiger because one of my colleagues once, back in the day at CNBC, she refused for years to tell me what her birthday was. She refused for years uh, to tell me how old she was and absolutely right as a woman you why, why should you tell but then one day she let slip that she was year of the tiger well i didn't take too much maths to work out how old she is i wonder how louisa is now uh, anyway down 4.4 percent on the month let's have a look at the s p 500 and what it did as well down seven percent on the month as well 2.4 percent rally best day as i mentioned since the middle of june uh, right amidst the pandemic in 2020 as well. Shall we have a look at the Nasdaq? This is where the rollicking ride has been, of course. Um, down 12% on the month. Again, that rally on Friday uh, certainly saved a few blushes, but not many for some people. Let's have a look at the Treasuries. What is it? 1.778. I think we closed uh, on Friday. Can we have a quick look at that? Yes, we can. 1.787 as well. So still uh, not hitting uh, too many highs compared to where many people thought it would be compared to where it was March last year. Let's get to Octe Kavrak, who is product strategist at Leverage Shares. Octe, good morning to you. Um, I guess not too many of your, your clients needed Leverage products uh, in the month of January as well, but how did they get on? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, I would say the good thing about our product range here at Leverage Shares is that we don't offer just Leverage products. For those that are looking to take some risk off, they can also look into our inverse product. So it's a powerful tool for those looking to take some risk off from their portfolio, especially in these volatile times. Uh, okay, given that most people who invest in stocks and shares are long the underlying product, how many of your investors uh, who did take out your leverage offerings, and I was looking at the front page of your website, how many of them lost money in the month of January? Well, uh, as an issuer of these products, we have no information in terms of how many people made money and lost money. So that type of information is with the brokers. But what I can tell you is that we've been seeing increasing turnover in terms of, you know, how many times these products are traded on a daily basis. And in terms of the overall assets, uh, just comparing it to the overall assets in these products, we're seeing higher turnovers on a daily basis, which shows us that the products are being used as intended. So people are getting in. As soon as signals are telling them to get out, they're getting out of positions. So that's a very healthy indicator with these types of products, which are definitely not buying hold. You know, these are the, the leverage products that we're speaking but, of. But these products are designed for retail investors. And I have a great protection job, I think, to, for our viewers, for investors. When you're advertising on your front page of your website, uh, three times positive ETFs for the likes of Tesla, for the likes of the ARK Innovation product, which had people been long of those products in January, they would be down circa 90% now. Do you, do you feel responsibility for those losses? Um, so if you were to just look at uh, the, the statistics in FINRA, for example, uh, margin borrowing is at an all-time high. CFD trading in Europe is, you know, has been increasing in terms of popularity over the years. When looking at our products, we feel that it's sort of the evolution in terms of leverage products because you're getting uh, more leverage by keeping more of your powder dry. And also you have added, um, added transparency because all of the intraday pricing is done 
with an independent market maker, there's additional uh, protections with these types with these types of products. So we just feel that these are powerful tools that allow day traders to take advantage of really uh, of really good opportunities in the market, especially if they think one of the big fang names like Facebook or Apple have dipped enough where they feel that it, it, it makes sense to get uh, more exposure to that particular stock for a short period of time. Then we feel uh, in that scenario, we feel that these are uh, very efficient tools for, for getting uh, allowing investors to take advantage of those market opportunities. It's Karen jumping in. Good morning to you. I want to ask you about some of the violence we've seen in quarters of the market. I mean, Fang stocks down 16% for the month. Who would have thought that you'd see such a strong reversal in these big name stocks now? And the Nasdaq itself down 12%. Do you think we're at a turning point because we've had Microsoft and Apple come out with numbers that were effectively welcomed by the market? There are reports of some are getting back into ARC at this stage, given the extreme selling we've seen there. At what point do you think we're at when it comes to this tech sell-off? Yeah, uh, you know, Microsoft, they beat both on top line and bottom line uh, in terms of revenues and earnings. Apple, I mean, just what a quarter, 11% gains year on year, 124 billion in terms of revenue. And the one figure that really jumped out to me is the fact that they actually made more from their wearables in this last quarter than they made from sales across their full suite of products. I mean, this just shows you that this might just be the most resilient of the FANG bunch. Um, in terms of calling the bottom, obviously, this is always very difficult to uh, to tell. And uh, what I would uh, what I would have, you know, what I would want to pass as a message to investors is that it's really hard to time the bottom. So, you know, you might want to stay invested in the market because whenever you have these huge sell offs that we've seen year to date, some of the biggest pops come right after. And if you were to miss those big pops, especially going back over 40 years, you know, your cumulative gains would probably be cut in half or even more. Can you get the pop elsewhere? And if you look at the resilience of European markets, by contrast here, and a, a lot of fund managers were saying that you, they saw value in UK stocks, they saw value still in Europe, and they thought that it would rally. And this time we've seen the FTSE actually provide some support this month, a little bit of selling elsewhere still, but not quite to the extent of what we've seen on the NASDAQ, uh, the S&P and the, the FANG stocks in the market. Do you think uh, Europe and in particular the UK can provide that pop if investors are looking for the upside now? Well, if we're to take a look at the backdrop that we're currently dealing with, right? So we have the geopolitical tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Obviously, everybody's paying attention to the interest rate scenarios in the in the U.S. You know, initially, everybody was thinking that it's going to be three interest rate hikes of 25 basis points each. But now I think the over the overall consensus is anywhere from four to five. Um, in terms of whether uh, the European indices could provide a bigger pop, I think in terms of the the, the, the fundamental constructions of the indices, that's very possible because if you look at the construction of the S&P 500, it's mainly uh, made up of tech and healthcare stocks. And if you were to look at something like the stock 600, you're looking at financials and, and industrials. So what we've been seeing is that you know energy, that, that's essentially the one sector that's in the green this year. And in my view, it's probably going to outperform as we, as we go. So whether it's going to provide a bigger pop or whether it's going to perform better uh, uh, towards the end of the year or as the year uh, plays out, I think uh, th there are very good opportunities for, for those clients looking to diversify out of just the U.S. equities. Octay, let, let's uh, go a little deeper into that story because there are, as we all know, a lot of leveraged oil products out there in ETF land. Um, my question to you would be, do you, if you believe that there is further upside here, do you buy the commodity ETF 
that tracks the underlying crude price or do you ultimately buy a share ETF that reflects the movements in the likes of, I don't know, Chevron, BP, Shell and so on and so forth, given that those share prices have uh, come quite a long way over the last year? Uh, well, here at Leverage Shares, one of the best things that I, I feel that we offer to investors is that diversity, right? So if you think the overall sector is going to grow, you can essentially buy a product that gives you leveraged or inverse exposure to that entire sector. And if you want, if you're a day trader and you're looking to exploit something like a pairs trade, you can go long one stock and short the other. For example, let's say long a long shell short BP or vice versa. So it really depends on whether the fundamentals of, of one of those uh, one of those stocks make much more sense than the other. And it's obviously going to depend on the type of investor. And if it's a sophisticated investor that's really paying attention to his or her positions on an intraday basis, then yes, these types of leverage products could make sense for them. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's the theory, but you don't have any particular view on where you're expecting uh, these products to to end up price wise over the month of February. Well, as an issuer, we are very agnostic in terms of the direction of any of the underlines that we offer. So, you know, we're not in the in the business of making directional bets in either direction. That's why for all of the underlines that we offer, we just offer long leveraged, inverse, or even delta one trackers, so that investors are empowered with tools that allow them to express their conviction. Octay, thanks for the time this morning and for joining us so early. Octay Kavrak, product strategist at Leverage Shares on the program with us today. Let's push on and take a look at the latest from the Fed as the Federal Reserve could opt for aggressive half-point rate hikes if required, according to Raphael Bostic. In an interview with the Financial Times, the Atlanta Fed chief said he stands by his call for three-quarter point rises in 2022, but says all options are on the table at every Fed meeting depending on the data. U.S. annual inflation rose to its highest level since 1983 last month. The December core personal consumption and expenditures index rose 4.9 per cent year on year. The data, which is closely watched by the Fed, came in slightly higher than expected. Employment costs hit a two-decade high, rising by 4 per cent, which was lower than expected. U.S. President Joe Biden's top economic adviser has warned of more uncertainty in labour market data due to the pandemic, telling CNBC the January figures could fall short of expectations. If you think about Omicron in early January and the impact it was having in terms of the number of people who were out sick, we do expect there to be some real um, variation in the data. We're trying to look through that to the question, the underlying question of, you know, what the impact of Omicron is. I think there's better news on that front. We certainly saw in unemployment claims some moderation in the data that came out yesterday. But, yeah, I think we need to be prepared for January employment data that could um, look a little strange. China's factory activity slowed in January with new pandemic measures taking their toll on supply and demand. But the economy still remains in expansion territory, with the official manufacturing PMI registering 50.1, very slightly ahead of expectations. We don't have those Chinese markets trading for the last day of the month, 
as the Lunar New Year holiday celebrations have kicked in. So gung hai fat choy to our Chinese audience out there. But we do have Japan, India and Australia trading. A slightly mixed picture across these markets today after what has also been a volatile trading month there, particularly for Japanese stocks uh, tracking higher today, as you can see, up 1%, 1.4 on the Nifty 50 in Australia, just flagging a little bit lower, but no doubt on the back of a fairly weak factory activity that we just saw. Steve. Excellent work, Karen. Thank you. Okay, coming up on the show, tensions mount in Eastern Europe with Western allies ready to deploy more troops in the near region. Plus, for more on how investors can play the recent downturn in U.S. equities, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. NATO has urged Europe to diversify its energy supplies as tensions with Russia continue to grow. Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says Europe is too reliant on Russia's natural gas deliveries, leaving it vulnerable and uh, Russia has amassed around 120,000 troops on the Ukrainian border. UK Foreign Secretary Liz Truss says Russian oligarchs with links to President Vladimir Putin would be hard hit if Russia invades Ukraine. Speaking to Sky News, Truss said she would set out new legislation allowing the UK government to sanction, quote, any individual or business of economic or strategic significance to the Kremlin. The question is just how far that would go, as Truss was asked if the law would allow the seizure of UK property owned by Russian oligarchs, and Truss replied nothing is off the table, which is a fairly extraordinary comment here as we talk about property ownership. Prime Minister Boris Johnson plans to have a call with Putin this week and visit Eastern Europe. Truss is expected to visit Moscow next month. Speaking to Sky, Truss also discussed UK military support to Eastern Europe. The number one priority is deterring Vladimir Putin from taking that action. That's why we are offering to deploy extra troops into Estonia. Uh, We are providing more air support across the Black Sea and we're supplying defensive weapons to Ukraine to make sure that they are in the best possible position should Vladimir Putin try to stage an incursion. What I'll be announcing later this week is improved legislation on sanctions so we can target more Russian interests that are of direct relevance to the Kremlin because we absolutely need to stop this happening. That is our number one priority. Liz Truss there. Well, the US President Joe Biden says he also plans to move troops to Eastern Europe soon, warning of the distinct possibility of a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Biden has consistently said that the US will not send troops to Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, uh, accused NATO of trying to pull Ukraine into the alliance, adding that NATO's line of defence is already close enough to Russia as it is. 
Well, Ukraine itself has tried to play down the U.S. warnings of imminent invasion. Speaking to the Financial Times, an American defense official said that Russia has moved blood supplies close to the border in preparation for a war. But the Ukrainian deputy defense minister rejected the U.S. intelligence, saying spreading such news based on anonymous sources is psychological warfare. Well, Hadley has more on the story and the latest developments. Good morning to you, Hadley. Hey, good morning, Steve. I mean, just take, take a look at the Ukrainian economy at this point. You know, you've got inflation above 10 percent. You've got a currency that's lost a 6 percent of its value against the dollar in just a month. And you've got surging energy costs as well. This is a country that's been effectively locked out of capital markets at this point. And you've got to wonder whether or not this is, in fact, as President Zelensky suggested on Friday, part of a psychological warfare um, is being staged by the Kremlin in the sense that you also have to take a look at the internal politics of Ukraine. Now, you, as you know, I was there just a couple of weeks ago. Um, Zelensky has been going after what he terms the oligarchs over the last year or so, and that includes even the former president of Ukraine, Viktor Poroshenko, um, someone we've also interviewed on CNBC multiple times. So internally, he's got a lot of, of, of gauntlets thrown, if you will, and at the same point, he's got to combat what's happening on the external side as well. And he was essentially saying on Friday, listen, all of this doomsday predictions about a potential incursion invasion in Ukraine is actually not doing good things for the country, for the economy and for, for tourism. Nobody's coming to Ukraine anymore. Big surprise there. Um, I will be there at the end of this week speaking exclusively with the country's foreign minister. No doubt that will be on the agenda. I'll ask him to uh, clarify, if you will, President Zelensky's remarks and as well if he's getting all of the support that he needs uh, from the West. You'll remember before Christmas when I sat down with the foreign minister, he essentially had said to me over and over again that it's all well and good to talk about potential sanctions, but those sanctions should be used as a deterrent um, for any possible invasion. And he said we should spell them out. The Europeans, the United States, etc., should be spelling out exactly what will happen to Vladimir Putin. And we have yet to actually see that happen. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.